<laughs> I guess we're leaving that open. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for showing up. Um, nice to see everyone. Some new people, some old people who suddenly <laughs> reappeared. Wonderful people. Welcome. We are beginning a series um, of Dharma talks and explorations on the precepts, the Buddhist precepts that we recited this morning. And this is uh, something we do uh, regularly because um, we need to do it regularly for one thing. And um, it's always uh, new discoveries, uh, new insights uh, when we uh, explore these precepts. And um, I don't know whether Max is, is with us uh, today, but Max will be receiving precepts um, in a formal ceremony called Jukai in December. And everyone is invited. In fact, it's required <laughs> um, to support Max and to receive precepts with him. Because we say that anyone who receives precepts, everyone receives them because we're not separate. And particularly as a Sangha, we all go, go through this process together. And some of our Sangha members are actually preparing to receive precepts um, uh, and doing their sewing uh, with respect to the, the process that we go through. Uh, so I wanna talk a little bit about Jukai, but first I, I want to uh, say some introductory things about um, the precepts. Uh, my mother and father lived through the depression and I was a baby uh, when they were living through this. And my, my father was a compulsive gambler and not only were they poor, but everything that came in <laughs> to the house was uh, bet <laughs> on something. My mother used to say my father would bet on whether you would take your next breath. That's how I mean, he would bet on everything and basically lose <laughs> on everything. Um, <clears throat> so my mother, uh, my mother learned how to uh, survive. We were extremely poor um, and she worked um, doing a variety of things. But she learned how to cut corners, a lot of corners. Uh, and sometimes the corners were very big. Uh, they amounted to 
uh, sometimes stealing, lying, manipulating circumstances. Uh, she, for example, used to work um, at supermarkets as a demonstrator of like samples of new products. And she would regularly take those samples home with her and then give them out as gifts uh, to friends and family. Uh, basically not a, a horrible crime, but it was stealing. Uh, and and this, this pretty much was the, the lifestyle uh, in my family, wherever you could get something for nothing and not really get yourself into trouble, um, you, you would do it. And it, it was a matter of survival. In fact, my mother once said that she had to go to the Red Cross to get food for the family. And it was the most humiliating thing she had ever had to do in her life. And she never wanted to do that again. So she figured out how to manipulate circumstances. So this gives you a little bit of a picture of, um, my dad was, was pretty, pretty clearly um, not the most upright individual. Uh, and my mother learned how to compensate for that uh, in her own way. But the day before she died, my brother and I went to see her and she was barely conscious. She was sitting in a chair, uh, you know, slumped over, she was highly medicated. And just prior to our departure, knowing that she, she was in hospice and she had very little time to live, she um, lifted her head up and looked at my brother and me and said, be good. Those were her last words. And I'm still hearing those words from a woman who wasn't particularly good in, in the ways in which we think of goodness and being honest and being forthright and being, um, being a good person. But those words by someone who was about to pass from this life were a profound teaching coming from my mother. Be good. Where was this coming from? From a woman I was used to, you know, wondering how she got away with all these minor little transgressions and crimes. It, I mean, life was full of that. Be good. And that has kind of stayed with me uh, for quite a while, even up to this day. This is the Buddha's teaching. As simple and yet not so simple as that. Be good. 
in the earliest uh, writings uh, of work transcribed uh, from Buddhist teaching, the Dhammapada, there's very famous uh, series of lines, phrases, teachings. Refrain from evil, do good, purify your mind. This is the Buddhist teachings. This is it. Refrain from evil, do good, purify your mind. This is the teachings of all the Buddhas, the seven that preceded Shakyamuni Buddha and all the millions and trillions of Buddhas that ever existed. These simple teachings. And they're, they're, um, they're phrased in different ways. Sometimes it's avoid evil. Sometimes it's avoid unskillful action or unwholesome action. And I've, I've, um, I've kind of racked my brain trying to come up with a better word than evil. Somehow that, uh, it's offensive. Evil is evil uh, to speak of evil because evil gives the impression that this is some kind of intrinsic state, that this person is evil, that it's kind of a permanent thing. It's their nature to be evil. And we know that Buddha's teaching is not that there is no self to be evil and there is no permanent condition that we can call either evil or good. So perhaps as a Sangha, we can come up, I mean, th there have been other suggestions like unskillful action or unwholesome action. So sometimes it's phrased that way, refrain from unskillful behavior, avoid unwholesome behavior, do good, help, <laughs> perform, skillful actions, perform wholesome actions, and then cleanse your mind. What does this mean? Cleanse, purify your mind sometimes. It's purify your mind, purify your heart, purify your, your very being. Cleanse. It's, it's a kind of baptism a cleansing, except there is no original sin to be cleansed. It's, it's just, just you could, we could say, when you purify your mind and heart, you are actually going beyond good and bad. When you purify your mind, you get rid of all those dualities. It's not that you become like, some kind of little angel, <laughs> you know, that you're pure, it, it really means that your mind is cleansed of all these right and wrongs. As Rumi says, there is a field beyond right and wrong. 
meet me there. So interesting, isn't it? That Buddha says, avoid evil, avoid unskillful and unwholesome actions, do good things, and yet go beyond good and evil, good and bad. So the first two lines, do good, don't do bad, and then go beyond good and bad. How do we reconcile those teachings? Well, we'll be exploring that over the next weeks and months. What, what, and of course, a lot of people have a kind of impression of Buddhism that because we go beyond dualities, we can do anything the hell we want. (laughs) There is no morality, right? Anything goes. That's a very immature understanding of Buddhist teaching. To go beyond good and bad is not necessarily to go to anarchy. But we'll be, we'll be exploring those things. I'm very moved by, um, by this, you know, my mother's last words, be good. And I'm also very moved in the Loving Kindness Sutra when we, when we chant, may all beings be happy. It's such a simple thing. But every time I chant it, may all beings be happy, there's something, I don't know, really emotional happening inside of me. You know, this expression of goodwill toward all beings. May we all be happy. That's all we really want in this world. Just, and, and so be happy and be good. <laughs> how, how much simpler can you get than that? And yet it's very complex when we get as they say, into the weeds, (laughs) into the weeds of what it means to be happy and what it means to be good and to refrain from evil. So we'll be exploring this, these these concepts and practices. Jukai. Jukai is the ceremony of receiving precepts. And sometimes people talk about receiving precepts. They they speak about taking precepts. I'm taking the precepts. Um, And by the way, this ceremony is lay ordination. So I will talk a little bit about what lay ordination means, but receiving the precepts is different from taking the precepts. That is like, I take an oath. (laughs) I I take, it's, that's not, not the spirit in which anyone receives the precepts into their lives. It's not 
a grasping. It's not an ego thing. It's not, I'm doing this. It's a receiving. It's a receiving of what? It's a receiving of a gift. To receive the precepts is to receive a gift for, and it's a gift of, of what? Well, well, we'll explore that as well. But preliminarily, it's a gift of our humanity. Because these precepts are expressions of how human beings would naturally be. <laughs> if all of these other things were, weren't layered upon us. All of the cultural, social, uh, economic pressures that are on us, we would naturally be honest, open, caring, compassionate. We wouldn't steal, we wouldn't kill, we wouldn't do any of these things if we were fully human. We were just acting as full human beings. And so these precepts, when you get deeply into them, are the most natural things in the world. We don't have to try to be good or try not to steal, try not to lie, try try not to abuse intoxicants. It, it would just be the natural human thing to do, the way to behave. So we are receiving precepts. We're receiving what it means to be really, truly human. And we are grateful to be reminded of these precepts. This is the way we, we, we really, we, we are. That's, this is the way we would be. And so we're gonna live, live out those precepts uh, to the best of our ability with, with help, with help from our Sangha, with help from our teacher. <clears throat> it is said that To be born as a human being is so incredibly rare. And sometimes the analogy is, it's as rare to be born a human being as it is for a blind sea turtle swimming in the cosmic ocean to come up once every hundred years for a breath and to stick his head through a golden yoke of an oxen that happens to be floating on the sea. It's as rare to be born as a, as a human being as it is for that sea turtle every hundred years to come up for air and stick his head through this sea so what an incredible blessing. What an incredible rare opportunity. And so 
to become fully realized as a human being, not as a God, not as some per perfect, you know, I, not we are perfect, but not ideal, not some constructed ideal that we project for ourselves, but just this, just this fully natural realized human being. So this is what someone who asks, asks to receive precepts, this is asking. And the hardest part is asking, is, is saying, yeah, um, there's something I want to realize in my life. And I need some help. And so you go to a teacher or you go to the Sangha and, and, and ask the teacher, will you be my teacher? Will you help me receive these precepts? Will you help me orient my life in the deepest, most human way I can possibly do this? So it is a, a kind of a humbling situation where you have you ask for help because you know you you're not human alone you're human only in your interconnectedness only in your relationships with all beings and so the whole sangha receives precepts every being receives precepts every being helps helps to realize you and sim simultaneously them so one of the other things that happens when you receive precepts is that you get a new name. Like for example, Mado. <clears throat> Which is a symbol and more than that of becoming somehow a different person, a new person, a kind of a rebirth into the Dharma, that now you become a child of the Dharma, a child of the teachings. And so instead of just ha having a name given to you by your literal parents, you're given a name by your spiritual teacher saying, this is your name in the Dharma, in, this wor in the world of the Dharma not just in the mundane world. So when anybody calls me Mado, I immediately, I'm in the Dharma. I'm in the Dharma. Not that I'm not if someone calls me Barbara, although that sounds very strange to me now. <laughs> but more and more, I'm, I'm a child of the Dharma of these teachings, of this way of being. So there's a new name, a Dharma name, and there's a sewing practice in which uh, you sew a miniature version of Buddha's robe. It's called a rakasu. And you have a sewing teacher. And you, this is your practice for a while, each stitch sewing your 
connection with the Dharma, with the teachings. And then your teacher inscribes something on the back of your Roksu. This is, this is my transmitted Roksu, but uh, my black Roksu has an inscription from my teacher, which says, return, accord, respond. I don't know what that means, but I held it close to my heart, close to my body. It was a kind of message from my teacher, which I held close to me and worked with that, sat with that, though, that message that he gave me. So there's a sewing of the Roksu. And then there is what we call a lineage chart, which I, I make for Max. I will be making for Max over the next few months. <clears throat> and that lineage chart is hand-drawn. And what I will do is to start with the Buddha and trace the lineage, our lineage, all the way through the ancestors in India to China, to Japan, to this place, through me, to Max. And Max will be on that lineage chart. Of course, his name won't be Max. It will be his Dharma name. And so he will be given that as a, as a what? As a gift from me to remind him that he is part of this lineage that goes back millennia before Christ, millennia. And here it is right now. So here's Max and there's Buddha. Quite a history. So those were the steps. of somebody who has set an intention of wanting to orient his or her life in a certain direction, wants to commit to that on some level, still being not going to a monastery, not becoming a monk, but living a an ordinary life, but in the Dharma, orienting that life in this direction, taking this path. And each, you know, each of us makes changes of, the, of this sort in our life. Um, Melody and John decided to have a baby. We congratulated them many times last week. <laughs> they they, they want to orient their life 
toward this family. You know, they want to have a family. So they made, they oriented their life. Brenda and Domenica moved to Florida with the idea that they want to, wanted to arrange Sounds like they dropped out. Oh. We should have a plan, like somebody's cell phone we can text. I mean, nobody's supposed to have a cell phone, but we should have a plan in these like instances, some way, some way we can alert them. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. We actually uh, probably should have somebody sitting there. Um, I think it dropped out after the Kinheen too, and then it came back. Yeah, but it they, did. But they might not be watching now. I think if somebody was just mindful of the chat, that would probably do without a cell phone. Well, yeah, but if they lost connection, they won't see the chat. Oh, that's true. Internet. Yeah. True. Yeah. So, so we're left with wondering what NATO was going to project upon Brenda and Dominica's move. That was the last thing I heard. What was that about? <laughs> oh, well. Probably just avoiding the Pennsylvania winter. <laughs> but I actually like the winter. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we can just hang out and see if it comes back or. Yeah, or we can have a, our own discussion about the precepts um, if you want. Sure. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Anger, you probably know about the precepts. I, I think what where Mado was going with Dominic and I moving was that we left one place and began completely anew in another. Um, much like 